Oh, go for it. Oh, recording, yeah. What's, what? Podcast! Alrighty. Dern After Reading. We're watching every Laura Dern movie ever. Except this week, we're not. <laughs> in, Again. In a classic ruse brought to you by the Dern After Reading staff, we're just gonna talk about movies we like and not Laura Dern mostly. And then we'll talk extensively about a movie a they didn't like. A two-plus-hour movie... A Christmas classic. A British rom-com. A trash film. Mr. Bean adjacent joint. You know it. You love it. I hate it. You're going to get angry. Let's dive in. Love Actually. It's Love Actually. Oh, I thought it was Infatuation Actually. Yeah. Oh, wait. No, no, no. It was... um, (laughs) Why are you doing this to me? HR Violations Actually. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> so do you want to start with love? Actually, I don't mind. I'm oh, just... it was grand gestures. Actually, ah, yes, that was it. No, we'll get there. Okay. We should start with Dern. <laughs> just dip it in. You know, I think Hugh Grant should be the prime minister. Just saying. <sighs> we'll talk. What did he ever do to you? I I'll, I'll get into it. Oh. I'll get into my qualms. Is that why you're so short? Did Hugh Grant <laughs> do that to Hugh you? Grant did yes. to me. He stunted your growth as a boy. <laughs> he fed me cigarettes. Fed me. I didn't smoke. <laughs> Grind them up <laughs> into a, a meal paste. I ate them in a cereal bowl, like the Three Stooges. <laughs> Tobacco meal. Oh god. Oh boy. Yeah, it's our Christmas episode. It sure is Christmas. It's our end of the year episode. It's our happy solstice episode, which is today. Oh, Happy wow. real New Year, everybody. Yeehaw. Happy New Year. The real one. The real one. The Jewish one? That the planets gave us. Ah, I thought you were going to say when the planets gave up. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Fuck it, man. 2020. <laughs> um, we will be in honor of this end of the year. And end of technically the first year of a new decade, but it also feels like the end of an old decade and perhaps the end of days. Um, Me and Max are going to make a rope circle in the Fresh Grocer parking lot up broad by Temple. We are going to take two knives. Both of us are going in the circle. One of us is coming out and whoever comes out has to find a new (laughs) co-host. And they need to find them in the Fresh Grocer parking lot. Yes. Uh... That's how I found you. You were just a scrappy little man scrubbing shopping carts, and I said, You there, boy! Do a podcast with me! And you said, Yes, master. Yes, ma'am. I don't know what you said. Governor? Yes, governor! There you go. It was governor. Governor. So. What? Oh, yeah. So we get a few. It's a new year. A few segments. A few segments. We got some new things to try. Yeah. Let us know what you think, fans. Yeah, I guess send us an email or a postcard. Yeah. <laughs> we're currently <laughs> singing, <laughs> singing telegram. We're currently staying at the Ritz downtown, so just send it to our it's where we always record private suite. <laughs> we rent a room at the Ritz once a week to record. Nick and I are uh, a sort of timeless type of gentleman, where we yes. just we just live in luxury <laughs> a hotels. G- a gentleman with a limp handshake, if you will. <laughs> Me and Max are notorious partners among town. <laughs> Entertaining all the eligible bachelors, if you will. 
in our robust apartment. It's true. Many a fainting couch to be had. It's all just one big fainting couch. <laughs> it's one of the... the faint, go to the fainting room. <laughs> it's just a padded room. <laughs> it's one of those, like... It's one of those cushioned, like, pits they used to have in the 60s, but it's all fainting couch. <laughs> wow, imagine. Sounds like a cuddle puddle. <laughs> Speaking of cuddle puddle, before we get into the actual segment, I need to pull the listeners aside and tell them about something. Oh, please? So, the year is 1996. It's not. Hulk Hogan is at the height of his wrestling fame. And what does he do? He decides to make a little movie called Santa with Muscles. This movie is the most ridiculous, insane, underthought-through disappointing, elating, maybe racist movie I have ever seen in my life. I want to challenge disappointing to suggest that you somehow had high standards I, for this creation. I had standards that I'd it would be... I'd rather watch the porno. I had standards that it would be reasonable. And let just for a hint of how unreasonable this film gets, the writer sued the production to have his name removed from the film because they changed his script so much. Ah, also, American History X. One of the executive producers was none other none other than Jordan Belfort. I was really hoping you'd say like Jake the Snake. <laughs> no, but God, I wish. So is this just a, a scam? Um, was this I mean, it is laundering? a movie. It's a real movie with Hulk Hogan, and you can't tell if his... He acts poorly in it, but I the I joke is that he's a bad actor and that he's, like, a millionaire that doesn't know what he's doing. But I, st- I don't know, to this day, if it's on purpose or not. Like, I don't know if he's a good actor and he's, he's playing not. bad. He's let, not a good actor, I, having seen Mr. Mom. Let, let me tell you the one... Mr. Mom? Yeah, wasn't that him? No, Mr. that was Nanny. Michael Keaton. Mr. Oh, Nanny. okay. Excuse me. I really, I really love Mr. Mom with Michael Keaton, so you understand my upsetting. So let me just read you the one sentence description and then I will pepper in another detail. An evil millionaire believes he is Santa Claus after an accident renders him an am, renders him am, renders him an amnesiac. That's basically the story. Great. Um, and then he, and near the end, he tries to save an orphanage with which another germaphobe evil millionaire is trying to purchase so he can obtain the magic glowing energy crystals that reside in the caverns underneath. I love this. It's, and it has a very star-studded cast. You have Hulk Hogan, you have um, a very young Mila Kunis, you have some uh, old SNL heads, you got like Garrett Morris, um, Ed Begley Jr. (gasps) And uh, yeah, Clint Howard is briefly in it. It's bad. It's bad. It's so good, but it's so bad. Mm. I had expectations. But that being said, go see it, because it is... It the, sounds wonderful. It is a Christmas movie I guarantee you have never seen, and you will have feelings about. And that is my Christmas wish to all of you. Go watch that movie. And I may have... I feel like I already mentioned this. There are only so many random-ass pop culture things that I love, um, but one of them is Hulk Hogan and the Wrestling Boot Band's music album. You have never mentioned oh. this. 
Believe uh, it or not, Hulk Hogan doesn't come up much the, on this the rest, podcast. So this was shortly after the the in, incomparable success of what was it? Santa Santa muscles. Santa with muscles. Santa with muscles. Thank you muscles. very much. Which also the Which title. Which is the most working title title I've ever heard. Want to hear the tagline? He's naughty. He's nice, and he's coming to save Christmas. <laughs> After that success, um, Hulk Hogan fronted the Wrestling Boot Band, or Wrestling Boot Travel Band, in 1995, releasing their one album, Hulk Rules. Songs include Hulksters in the House, Hulksters Back, I Want to Be a Hulkamaniac, Hulk's the One, Hulk Rules, we didn't say that one? Oh, that's the name of the album. And my personal this favorite. This is the Sinister Minister, Father oh. James Mitchell, inviting you to tune in to Wrestling with Regret for Biting Satire. Never. I thought it would play the song immediately. Like, well, there wrestle, you go. Wrestling with Regret's really funny. <laughs> That's just the all The name like... of like, a, just their, their support group for all these just like sad, melty-brained, droided up men. Oh, man. Uh, wrestling with regret but my favorite song off the album is hulkster in heaven no yeah no you stop yeah. that oh right yeah now. it's about a dead fan i hate that so much the world has lost another hulkamaniac and is hulk hogan singing and in like an almost like boyish falsetto on that one and it's got like a real shitty like like soul kind of backup singer women behind it yeah. oh oh go listen oh my gosh that sounds amazing yeah no it's wonderful hulk hogan has lived it's a real joy he truly has had a wonderful life yeah <laughs> that movie was about him <laughs> remember hollywood hogan that was a misstep a hollywood hogan that was his name for like oh kind of like snoop lion yeah. It didn't work out. Yeah. I feel like that when celebrities do that kind of thing, they like very quietly dip back out of it and then just come back as normal Hulk Hogan or I, I feel Snoop like Dog. it's from the same place as like Crystal Pepsi. Oh god. Where it's like, let's like tell everyone we're completely remodeling. Yeah, man. And that New way Coke. like they'll get mad, they'll crave the old one more, and then I'll come back. You know what niche piece of marketing I want to start collecting. I want to start collecting all of the pro New Coke merchandise. Because everybody, like, when New Coke came out, everyone, like, wore shirts that said, like, bring back old Coke. And I want all the stuff that was for people that liked New Coke. Like, buttons that are just like, New Coke is the new way. New Coke, pretty good. It's okay. It's soda. I'd love to try it. I wish, do you think, like, Dollar Store and, like, store brands also made a new cola? (laughs) At that time, like, new W Cola <laughs> with new W formula. Dr. Thunder, midlife crisis. <laughs> Dr. Thunder 2. <laughs> Babe in the city. Wait, pig in the city. There, you go. there we go. Shouldn't call pigs babes. Your friends will think you're weird. So, we have an actual segment here. Top 10 darn things of all time. We didn't forget about you, Laura. We are, this is... Roughly 35 episodes in, which means we've watched almost, in theory, we have watched around 70 Laura Dern things, give or take. So we've decided to go through the entire list and decide what our top of the tops were. 
tops of the top. Yeah. And I, I will say up front, there's some I'm excited to watch that I haven't seen. Very well. Um, and there are others I'm not excited to watch, but like you might be like, what about this David Lynch movie? Uh, you know, <laughs> and it's like, I haven't watched it yet, but it's not making the cut anyway. Yeah. I mostly, I only chose things I watched. Yeah. I wasn't going to presume, but I do have some... <laughs> Number one, Wild at Heart. Let's start there, a movie I've never seen. <laughs> that's that's David Lynch, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Also, there is an, a movie I did not include on this list, but I am excited for, Citizen Ruth. That's the one I'm excited for. Okay, I'm yeah. Like, that one, I've never seen I, that. I saw the art for it last night, and I was like, what the hell? How did I miss this? I remember for the year we've been doing this. eyeballing that one as a kid in Blockbuster and like being very familiar with like the VHS, but I never, never picked it up. The it cover cool. I saw very much looked like a thing I saw when I was young at like a Blockbuster, just like, whoa, yeah. lady, <laughs> lady is Liberty statue, want to touch lady. And I believe, if I recall correctly, it's an Alexander Payne film. And so it'll be great to see him Burt do something Reynolds. with Dern that isn't trash. Wait, maybe not Burt Reynolds. Oh, I hope so. Who's the other guy that looks like Burt Reynolds? Tom Selleck. That's it. It's not Tom Selleck. It's Burt Reynolds, but... <laughs> Sorry. But, but Sorry. Who you're Sorry to lead you down that road, but you are correct. Yeah, no, I understand. So how do you how do you want to parse this? Um, Let's, let's go shot by shot. Ten to one? Ten to one. Well... So, I mean, what's your number ten during? Let me just start by saying, for both of our top ten lists this week, I had a hell of a time whittling everything down and choosing numbers it but is I, we put a lot of work we in. do i was up until 2 a.m last night i was too unrelated <laughs> yeah i wasn't really up doing this but you know I was, <laughs> until like one o'clock i was doing this um so number 10 i went with 2016's the founder the founder i love a historical film I like McDonald's, and I love the story of a swindling Michael Keaton. Yep. And Laurie Dern as Grimace. Just, uh... <laughs> now, you're... <laughs> I know. Never mind. I'm not going to say it on the podcast. <laughs> Michael Keaton is not a derogatory term for a group of people. I beg your pardon. I said a swindling Michael Keaton, and I was like, <laughs> what if you use Michael Keaton as a slur for, like, let's just say a group of people like that people popu popularly say hoard money. Oh god! Yeah, I'm not gonna say it, but you know, getting proud, boy. Can, I'm not for year-end retrospective. You can connect the dots. I love the Jewish people. Yeah, Seinfeld is fantastic. <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> that's the one, that's Jerry. The one Jew. <laughs> I have. Have more you read than his, one. his autobiography, "The Only Jew in Hollywood"? That's now. Come on. <laughs> That's like Alan Cummings' biography, The Only Gay Man in Scotland. <laughs> um, my sister is um, uh, an artsy queer woman. <laughs> my who, sister is, has the gay. <laughs> she, she, some might say, has the gay. Um, and she, she was referencing, she was like, have you met this friend of mine? She was like, oh, I think you probably met her at my wedding. And I said to her, I was like, Oh, is she the artsy lesbian? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, I'm sharp like that. You it's are... not just on air, guys. You... I do it IRL, too. You have quite... That was ten years ago, and, quite and the... I'm still holding on to it. Quite the wit on you. <laughs> Your ten, sir. Number ten. Recount from 2008. 
which was a post-mortem of the 2000 presidential election. Oh, yeah, yes. if you want to see a great instance of how the Democrats are very bad at like at real politic and thinking everything's going to work out great because it's the right thing and not because they should be fighting tooth and nail to like secure this election, watch Recount. Also, Laurie Dern playing the sort of almost Sarah Palin-esque uh, Florida Attorney General is the best part of it. So yeah, that's my 10. Nice. For my number nine, I chose something near and dear to my heart. It is the holiday season, of course, and I am, I'm not made of stone. I'll watch the occasional Hallmark Christmas movie. And for number nine, I chose one of the original Hallmark Christmas movies of 1999, A Season for Miracles, which also stars, I forgot this, The Hot Mom from... Haunting of Hill House, and other things. Carla Gugino. That's her. She was in something else I watched recently, and I was like, ah, hot mom. Was it the one where her husband takes boner pills and handcuffs her to a bed? No. You know, I don't remember. Gerald's Game. Mm. Love I that movie. I could not tell you what it was. I just remember that she came up, and I was like, oh, hot mom. And then the person I was watching it with was like, oh, yeah, she was in Gerald's Game, too. And I was like, yeah, hot mom. I just call her hot mom. She, yeah, she is the the wife of the director of, I believe she's the wife, of the director of Gerald's Game and Haunting of Hill House. And Gerald's Game, if you like movies where one single individual performance carries it, I'm reminded of, like, Sam Rockwell and Moon. It's very hard to do to, you know, to have one person just carry an entire film basically by themselves. Mm -hmm. She does that in Gerald's Game, and it's testament to her her caliber as an actress. True. Also, she's hot, as you may have inferred from her, her moniker. I do have to say, I've seen some movies like that where it's just, like, one person, one setting... Some of them are very good. That one's very good. And I feel like it has a lot to do with, like, her as a person, also, like, the setting and the story. There's another movie with, um, ah, what, the guy, I think it was the guy that played Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds, where he's just in a box. Like, he's in a box and he's buried and that's the whole movie. And that movie made me want to eat nails. It was so bad. Yeah, he's not, it's not even that he's not a good actor. It's that to do that, you need to be such... An incredible actor? I would argue... I mean, you would... Yeah, you would have to be, like... that's part of it. You'd have to be Tom Hanks. Like, you'd have to be top of the top, like, a dramatic, fantastic actor to pull off literally just you in a box, and that's Mm -hmm. the entire movie. And then you die at the end. And it was a full-length film? It was a full-length film. Sounds terrible. 85% sure it was him. And yeah, literally, it's a guy buried in a box, and, like, he doesn't know why, and he's trying to get out, and then he just fucking dies. And that's it. He should have done the, the Uma Thurman punch. The one-inch punch. When you're stuck in a box buried alive, just put your fist as close to the top of the box as you can and just punch that bitch. Ash. And also maybe get trained by, like, a, a bearded wizard man. Actually, you're suppo- if you have a shirt, like a button-up shirt or any shirt, you're supposed to cover your face with it. And then, like punch out take out the bottom of the box with your feet and then like work your way up through the dirt with your face covered and like push the dirt into like your foot space and like work your way up so you're almost like turning the box vertical kind of but you don't actually move the box like you just move out of the box and like push the dirt into the space you were filling Mm -hmm. not that i would know this for any reason 
Well, I <laughs> I thought my threats were a little more properly veiled, but I was intending on well, you, uh, burying you alive. That squirrel you tied to a brick and threw through my second story window <laughs> was kind of fucked up. But yeah, you know. I guess it was less subtle it, than I was. It was Hanukkah before. at the time. I thought nothing of it. <laughs> so what's your, what's your number nine, Max? My, oh, are we snaking this? Oh well, I'm sorry. Oh, did you give a number nine? Yeah, season for miracles. Oh, I forgot. That. The thing is, we, why we, we go on a five-minute story every time. That's we true. Do a Buckle up, everyone. My number nine, a lovely family film from 1999 about a boy and his rockets. It is October Sky, where Dern is perhaps her most wholesome and sweet, and plays a loving teacher. Um, yeah. Well, for my number eight, I chose a movie about a boy and his rockets, oh, where Laura, Laura Dern, one? I chose October Sky as yes. well. Yeah. Um, for some reason, that was the movie we always watched in middle school, like once a year. Because I think like one science teacher covered it, but they would bro- broadcast it on like the whole school system, because our school was old and it had like a TV system where you could put a VHS tape in, in the office and it played everywhere. Oh, that sounds new. Sounds new oh, and it, fancy. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be fooled, boy. It was, we also had like a TV studio where they we did like morning news and it would broadcast to all the classrooms. But like, nice. It was literally they were just like literally like a bundle of wires the size of an alligator yeah. running through the school to keep everyone in. <laughs> like half of them didn't work. But yeah, October Sky, good movie. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, the guy that plays the dad. Um, the Shermanator from American Pie guy who plays the dad chris cooper do, do the kids break the fence at one point or does the dad break it out of anger i don't remember i think i just had an implanted memory of him coming out and they're playing with rockets and he just like oh, rips they, the they fence like up shoot, and they they fuck up the fence with their uh, rockets i mean that's the worst thing you can do in the s- 70s in pennsylvania and if, you if you haven't seen 50s. it it's basically what um john voight in zoolander is lampooning yeah. As like the unloving coal miner father. I mean, it's basically just high school musical, but instead of dancing, it's rockets. Yeah. it's It follows the high school musical formula of film. Soviets and all. <laughs> I forgot. He doesn't want to play basketball, but he wants to fight the Russians. <laughs> he just wants to dance. So what's your number eight, My Max? number eight uh, made-for-TV film from 1996 about... A family, a horrible family, and a government response so terrible that it made them look like the heroes and inspired decades of right-wing neo-Nazi and Nazi-adjacent people. It is, of course, The Siege at Ruby Ridge. This one came close for me, but I didn't make it. Right. If you want to see 14-year-old Kirsten Dunst with the swastika armband, if you want to see Randy Quaid... As in as close of an approximation to real life crazy Randy Quaid, um, watch this movie. And if you want to know about a truly fucked up event and like a pretty good retelling of it, watch this movie. The Siege at Ruby Ridge directly inspired Timothy McVeigh's Oklahoma City bombings. Um, It is massively important to just all militia movements. Um, I have some Randy Quaid news. Yeah? He's dead. What? No, he's not dead. Um, I recently also watched a movie, another Christmas movie, that I have been 
saving for a special time, and this year felt like that time. Sort of a vacation of sorts? Oh, yes. Not just a vacation, but a vacation to National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 2, Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure. This is canonically, I would call it the last film in the National Lampoon Vacation canon, although there is a vacation film from 2015 starring Ed Helms. I would count that as seven. What? Wait, what do you mean it's the last one? This came out in 2003, which means it came out after European Vacation. Sorry, after Vegas Vacations. No. Yes. Oh, this is... Yes. This is Christmas Christmas Vacation vacation 2. Yes, the sequel. So this... um, Vegas Vegas Vacation came out, I believe, in 97. This came out in 2003. So this is a few years out, and it is the last one. And it is just... Oh, man. Imagine a movie starring... Yeah, it is. Is Chevy Chase in it? No, but... Is Beverly D'Angelo No, but a woman... It's out. No, stop. Audrey, their daughter is in it. Although which one? I don't. I I legitimately could not. I didn't is look it, it a up. Fifth actress. I don't know if it's one of the seven Audreys. Or, <laughs> but yeah, um, it's awful. It's just. I mean, imagine a movie starring. Ray, imagine a movie where Randy Quaid is the name at the top of the poster. It's not good. Yeah. But uh, if you want to, well, CJ Ruby Ridge well, yeah. outstanding. Fairly. Only because they just let they said, "Hey, be yourself." I mean, it's it's just dog farts and Randy Quaid getting hurt. He also like his the plate in his head is electrified, so it like kills bugs. That's it's fun. It's it's yeah. a movie. Cousin it was Eddie straight to not, DVD. This is not canon. Oh no, it was actually made for television. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. No, it's canon. No. It is canon. It's absolutely It is absolutely canon. It is a sequel starring Randy Quaid, and you should all go watch it. (laughs) Number seven! (laughs) I went with... uh, Like, honestly, it was a rough time, me putting this in number seven, but it was definitely one of my favorites. Even just movies of the year. I went with Teachers, 1984, starring... What's his face? Nick Nolte. Nah, Laura Dern sleeps with the gym teacher and gets pregnant, like two other students at the school. But yeah, I really like this movie. It felt like School of Rock without the music. It was just like, Revolution and Nick Nolte and cool teachers and bullshit. It was fun. There you go. It was good Speaking Speaking of Nick Nolte, we mentioned briefly last week... Uh, the 1991 film Cape Fear, which I had never seen. Oh, yes! And now I have. And Nick Nolte oh. is... Fine, but you know who's more than fine? Who? Robert De Niro. Ah, oh, you're right. And Juliette Lewis. True. What and Ileana Douglas at just her peak bug-eyed beauty. Um, if you want to see, watch that movie if you haven't seen it. It's classic. I was 30 years late to the game, but man, was it wonderful. De Niro is deliciously evil. Hmm. Juliette Lewis is still doing stuff. Yeah. For some reason, I didn't think she was. Oh, well. Good for her. Yeah, I hadn't, like, she had such just, like, a hit, like, oh, yeah. performance after performance in, like, the mid-90s. Like, I mean, Natural Born Killers. Dawn Till Dust. The Other Sister. Uh, oh, that's a new movie. Dust yeah. Dawn, what's Eating Gilbert Grape? Is she in that? Um, I'm not no, that was Winona. Here. Another amazing but less talented woman from the same time. Although I would say I am... How do I say this in a way? Um, I think I like Winona's face better. I feel like Juliette Lewis just has something about her face. 
Okay. It's not bad. It's just like, like there's a drop of alien in there. Yeah. No, I know what you're saying. She and and I think it makes it's a small part of what makes her very good at these complex sort of roles. Oh, she played Audrey in one of the National Lampoon Christmas. She played it in Christmas Vacation. There we go. Oh wow. My God, it all connects. In the world, funny. Um, fun you know, fact. the world should have been called Nutty Professor. That's how nutty the world is. Yeah, what were they thinking? What were you thinking, <laughs> why, why Yahweh? They, why'd they give that one to Eddie? Come on. <laughs> I, um, I learned in my research of, of, after watching Cape Fear, that it was nominated for, from the MTV Movie Awards Best Kiss, for the kiss between teen, teenage Juliette Lewis and predator stalker murder rapist Robert De Niro, which I'm sorry, that's it did what? not win. Both of those those actors were also nominated like, for Har- Oscars. Harvey Weinstein will give this award show one million dollars if we put this kiss in the ranks. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein, lovable oaf at oh, the time, God. of course. Now he's a bad man, sitting in rich people jail with yeah. fake COVID. Good for him. Number seven for me. Okay, I wait. I uh, hate to interrupt. I okay. just want to say one thing. Do you want to know? I just I just saw this when I was scrolling through. Do you know what Santa with muscles made in the box office? Twelve dollars. No. Three hundred million dollars. One hundred and twenty thousand oh. dollars. <laughs> I saw oh. that opening weekend, nineteen ninety six, early November. $120,000. That feels about right. Good for them. I'm sorry. Continue. On a budget of $30 million. <laughs> On a string budget of $30 million Jordan Belford Pilford dollars. <laughs> uh, my number seven, one I covered recently, it is Smooth Talk from 1985, based on the Joyce Carol Oates short story, Dern as a naive and flirtatious teen treat Williams as just uh, a perfect serpent of a predator man. It's great. It's intense. It's an intimate look at youth and womanhood and relationships. Go see it. It's great. It was very good. I did not see it, but your description of it was very good. Thank you. You're welcome. Strive for the best here, D.A.R. D.A.R. You know, we they went through a lot of people to get us as hosts. They had Ken Jennings on the line. He wouldn't do it. It conflicted with his Jeopardy stuff. <laughs> Alex Trebek, incidentally. Oh, well, we all know what happened to him. Yep. The old glug, glug, glug. When <laughs> 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 you drink your liver out of your body, what can you do? I mean, uh, what a guy. Um, number six. I went with... Um, I've always had a fascination with, like, um, movies of oppression, movies of Jewish people being downtrodden, the Holocaust in general. It's a very fascinating topic. It's amazing how awful the world can be. So I chose Focus from 2001 because it has really everything you could want. It has an anti-Semitic meatloaf. It has Laura Dern playing a the actor, a, not the food. A hot, hot lady who's not Jewish, and it has, of course, the venerable William H Macy playing a nice. I can. I was trying to think of who Jewish it was man. in my head. It was like a Tony Shalhoub. Oh, t- Tony Shalhoub is not Jewish, actually. Really, but he plays a fantastic Jewish man, a Jewish father 
on the wonderful show Marvelous Miss Maisel. Maisel. Go watch it if you haven't. I could not suggest it more. steal Andy Samberg's line from some awards show he was hosting. Is Marvelous Miss Maisel racist? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes it is. But yeah, Focus. Great film. It's like, I don't know, it's a good movie. Go watch it. Yeah. I don't know what else I can say. Number six, I'm going to take us to the small screen. No. It, it is, of course, if you saw The Undoing and thought, this isn't good, but I want a better version of this, look no further than 2017 to 2019's Big Little Lies. There you go. Renata Klein, Dern, is the best. She's, she's this wealthy like business like power like girl boss businesswoman have it all works hard dresses well kind of gossipy and gets in other people's business and she starts off as sort of this like antagonist to our heroines um but then she gets more fully fleshed out and it's wonderful and she's great a lot of similarities with i'd say her character in marriage story but perhaps I'm getting ahead of myself there. My word. little hint at the future. Well, for my number five, we are now in the top five here. I decided to talk about the movie I watched for the very first episode of Dirt After Reading. It is very close to my heart. It is, of course, an early 2000s... Steve Cur- no? Steve Martin. Steve Martin, thank you. A very early Steve Martin movie, Novocaine. It is one of the only films featuring a Laura Dern murder, and my god, it's ridiculous. I remember how goofy it was and thinking, oh, isn't this whole podcast going to be goofy? <laughs> and then I have watched a series of awful movies since then, <laughs> showing you that Laura Dern is a very wealthy woman. Yeah. I mean, my god, she's been in so many things. She probably blew it all on the ponies, though. That being said, go watch Novocaine if you like dentists, Steve Martin, or dentists, I guess. Yeah, or Little Shop of Horrors. There you go. I forgot. Mm, I always forget to mention that. <laughs> that is his second dentist role. As, like, a piece of shit dentist. Oh, right? no, he's a pretty good dentist in Novocaine. Oh, okay. But I think oh, he, he gets, <laughs> he gets, um, he gets uh, swayed by lust and keeps making poor choices that have very large legal repercussions. But, <laughs> sort of like the Rick Moranis. Yeah, but then he's saved at the end the because Laura Dern is a murderer. <laughs> Yay. You know what I learned from Dern? Save your boss by literally murdering people to cover up his petty crimes. Yeah, it's really just a, a stark <laughs> satire of I mean, I've killed, capitalist I've dystopia. killed for my bosses. When I worked at Sam's Club, killed there. When I worked for the Burley Brothers, killed for them. Hey, man, I worked in politics. You ain't gonna oh. tell me. <laughs> I know where the bodies are. <laughs> they were Democrats. <laughs> Democrats don't float. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's your number My five? number five. Um, a film that, like, if it had more Dern, I think it, it might be even higher on this list. Uh, but she she is a, a supporting character and doesn't add too too much to it. But it is a film from 2012 called The Master, one of the greatest Philip Seymour Hoffman performances, perhaps the best movie P.T. Anderson has made. L. Ron Hubbard, drunk Joaquin Phoenix, 
Amy Adams in her best role since Drop Dead Gorgeous. (laughs) Um, It's wonderful. It's weird. It's cerebral. It's not the easiest to get through, but it is an excellent, excellent, perfectly crafted film. And one day I will watch it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see about that. Yeah. Bucko. Yeah, one day. Number four, I decided to go with a short art film. This is one of... Probably one of the my favorite non-traditional film roles that Laura Dern has done in our time this far. Um, Nine Kisses from 2014. That one sounded it, really good. It was just a fun little fun little thing about romance and love, and uh, you got to see Steve Martin kiss Laura Dern. And really, that's all I ever wanted. Yeah, that's nice. So, so it's a short film that has many different just quick snapshots of various love relationships. Yes, all played by incredibly famous people. And offers a lot to say about love and relationships. Yes. With this sort of ensemble looking at all these different relationships. Yes. I wonder if there's a worse movie that tries to do that same thing that we'll talk about in depth. Hmm. But maybe that's the next segment. Although, I feel like you could show this film in, like, a legitimate art museum and it would make sense. I feel like if you went into, like, one of the little black box theaters at, like, the Met and you just saw Love Actually on a loop, you'd be confused. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes Mike from security just plays movies in here. Whatever he wants. (laughs) Yeah, he had had Hurt Locker on last week. That was cool. Mm -hmm. Hey, Mike likes it, not me. All right. Mike. Mike Mike is a victim of authoritarianism. Yeah. Well, he's a cop. Yep. Uh, my cop. number four, mine's also a short art film. This one from 1993. It's Jurassic fucking Park, baby. <sighs> there we go. Yeah. Bada boom. I don't need to say much about it. You know it. <laughs> it's you love Jurassic it. Jurassic Park. Fucking dinosaurs. Yeah. Oh, wow. It really makes you think. Number three. We're in the top three now. This is going to get pretty... It's gonna, this is going to be a nail-biter for our for listener. For all the marbles. <laughs> all, the, all three of them. <laughs> um, I went with... You know, Laura Dern's lot, done a lot of TV work in her time. She's done a lot of TV guest spots, and she's done a lot of television movies. And when we started getting into the deep, deep television movie world, like the, the 80s through 90s of Laura Dern, I was so worried that it was all going to be crap. And then we watched this... And my God, was it crap, but was it fantastic? I'm going with the nonsensical, ridiculous romp of a film, The Three Wishes of Billy Grier. <laughs> really? Yes. This is, my top, this is my top third Lord Turner film. Let it film. be known, Nick loves bad movies. I, this movie is fantastic. The fact that you can only find it in like three pixels on a YouTube clip. I want to remind you, you spent a long time talking about how terrible this movie was I, on this very program. I don't remember that. I was wrong if I did. Um, <laughs> there's something about this movie that just stuck with me in such a profound way. The idea of a young boy aging... Re- um, God. A young man like Benjamin Buttoning out of nowhere and just rapid aging and like what what were his three wishes it was he wanted to get laid he wanted to have get laid play in a jazz band and like see his dad or something yeah snooze he got three wishes hey top three three wishes (laughs) hey he was reasonable he could have done all three in one night if he wanted to 
That's true. He could have done at that least two of them. That means you're not aiming high enough. He could have done two of them at once. And I'll let the listeners decide which two. <laughs> Alrighty, Max, what's your three? My three is an objectively much better film than that. Because <laughs> mm. I thought I thought I they put, you know, good things on these lists. <laughs> Maybe I was I misunderstood the assignment. Um, mine would be uh, 2019, uh, a a film that Darren received an Academy Award for. Oh. It is, of course, Marriage Story. I loved that I had to rewatch this because it made me like it so much more. Um, excellent divorce movie. Funny, heartbreaking. Great performances from Scar Joe and uh, Adam Driver. And uh, the best thing Noah Baumbach ever did that didn't feature Greta Gerwig. You know, I did not include Marriage Story on my list, and now I'm regretting that. But I cannot go back now. No. Nope. And I don't want to lose any of my top two spots, so here we go. Nope. Keep keep in mind, my honorable mention will be both Marriage Story and what was that awful, depressing Death Row movie I watched? The one of the dogs? No, that was the other oh my prison God. movie. <laughs> no, not the dog one. Uh, well, whatever that you one was. You know it. The, the Dead Man mention. Walking Clone. That's it. Alrighty, number two for me. I'm going with 1980s Foxes. Ooh. I really like this movie. It was so cool seeing that hip young lesbian and her friends just living in Hollywood in the 80s and like like bad dads and upsetting moms and just like, you know, teenagers being foxes. Also, Randy Quaid. Yep. Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid on both of our top ten lists. <laughs> Randy Quaid playing a successful advertising executive, which seems odd, but you know. Yeah, that's not... It's not the fit. It's not Randy. I mean, maybe <laughs> young Randy, but... And then he married a teenager, so, you know, nothing's changed for Randy Quaid. What are you gonna do? Yeah. It's a classic Jerry Seinfeld move. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he sure did, didn't he? He did. My number two, um, this movie I've gushed about on here. I never would have known about it if it weren't for this program, because it is a, a small... Um, indie film that from 1998. It is The Baby Dance, starring uh. Laura Dern and Stockyard Channing. <laughs> Laura Dern is a, a pregnant woman in a trailer park, and Stockyard Channing as the uh, as half of a wealthy couple that will be adopting her baby. It looks at power dynamics. It um, looks at the kind of the differences between these characters and the role poverty plays, but it's an intimate and empathetic look at all these various characters, despite their different circumstances. And it's also a wonderful indictment of capitalism and poverty and how being poor automatically disqualifies us from things like being a good parent. Uh, it's heartbreaking. Deeply sad, but so, so good. You know what other film is exactly like that? Jurassic Park. Grease. <laughs> Stockard Channing's other yes. main joint. Grease is also a um, it's a discussion about <laughs> class and wealth. No, it's a discussion about uh, banging chicks in the 1950s. Hell yeah. Getting Those were the days. I'm like a broken typewriter. I missed my period. You know, <laughs> Stockard Channing. Yeah. Number one. Number one. Laura Dern has been in a lot of movies over the years innumerable one could argue too many at times but 
We won't talk about that right now. We'll wait for the end. Our last episode, we're just going to trash her completely. <laughs> but no. The Dern Rose. Number one. With a bullet. Downsizing. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that down like, do it as a joke. Downsizing. No, I did Jurassic Park. 1993's Jurassic Park. This is... To the very best of my knowledge, the first thing I ever saw Laura Dern in. I've seen this movie along with the entire original three films hundreds of times as a youth. And Thousands? Maybe. Probably not. At least a good hundred. But yeah, it's a fantastic movie. My earliest Laura Dern is probably the reason I'm doing this podcast right now. I know it front to back. I could watch it any day of the year. It is a wonderful lizard movie. It has David Attenborough's brother. What else could you want? <laughs> That's it. Yeah, that's all I've ever wanted. That's what the Mariah Carey song is about. All I want for Christmas it's is David Richard Attenborough. <laughs> God bless us, everyone. And you, Max, what is your number one My Dern number film one. of all time? Laura Dern has been in many films. I hate you so much. <laughs> um, this was not the first Laura Dern film I've seen. Um, but I did see it before any of all these, and we're yet to cover it. On this podcast. In fact, it is not a film, but a television show, and dare I say, one of the greatest and certainly most criminally underknown shows of all time. It is Mike White's 2011 to 2013 show Enlightened, where Laura Dern plays an insufferable woman and does it perfectly. <laughs> Everything about this show is amazing. It has so much honesty and heart and it like swings for the fences and hits it. It's so affecting and moving and powerful and funny and like deeply, deeply funny. Um, go watch Enlightened. You got HBO Max. Your your cousin has HBO Max and you got the login. Yeah, beat up your cousin. Because <laughs> you, you gave him some riddle in that one time. <laughs> so, so use it. Watch Enlightened. It's two seasons. It only gets better. Um, you got Luke Wilson in a supporting role. Diane Ladd. Little Jason oh. Manzukis in there oh. for comedy, for comic relief. It's a joy. It's the best. No one's seen it, but everyone who's seen it loves it to pieces. May old acquaintance be forgotten and never five, four, three, two, one. Happy New Dern! Happy Dern Year! So I had a thought. Um, it's completely unrelated to anything we've talked about and will not really connect to anything else. Oh, I love these. But if I was on death row, I think my last meal would be Three Fudgy the Whales. A Carvel ice cream cake. You know what? No. Two Fudgy the Whales and one Cookie Puss. Is that also a Carvel ice yes. cream cake? You don't know all the Carvel Universe characters? <laughs> Get with it, Max. Come on. I thought you were hip. Uh, uh, yeah, Carvel ride and die. I just wanted to interject that. Continue. Oh, what are we doing now? Love Actually. We decided to watch a holiday movie for this holiday season. Ho, ho, ho. Happy Hanukkah. The coffee Max gave me just kicked in, so I am on another planet right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Love Actually, 2003. Richard Curtis, the director of many other British phen phenomenons, such as a Mr. Bean movie and other things. <laughs> this is his directorial debut. 
And it shows. And uh, yeah, it's a big movie. It's a lot. There are a litany of stars. It's basically the Harry Potter of arguably not great romantic comedies. Christmas-themed romantic comedies. Um, So Max, go ahead. Where do you want to start with this? (sighs) It's got it all. It's got washed-up musicians. It's got a new prime minister. It has a wedding, a funeral, and a broken relationship all within the first 10 minutes yeah we hit strong um oh god it's got a hobbit it has everything snape i do love that walking dead man but that is one of my favorite reoccurring scenes the Mm. martin short with the lady and they're doing like standing lighting martin freeman sorry yeah they're doing the standing lighting and they're just like idly chatting as they're doing incredibly sexual things just as stand-in characters yeah I like that It was one. funny the first time. And he's, he, she's like sitting, miming sitting on his face and he's just saying like, it's so nice to find someone you can just talk to. <laughs> I was like, oh, Martin. Yeah. Little Hobbit man. So now that we had that nice little three second chat, yeah. go ahead. I, I want to start by saying this film has a lot of heart. I understand why it's like, why people love it. Like it is it is enjoyable in a lot of ways it's got it's at times pretty funny i think a lot of the humor is like is pretty sappy and sort of like it's it's too it's too much too much is just trying to put like the right ribbon on on things um but there's there's a lot to like i i wouldn't fault anyone for sitting through this and saying like i had a really good time i mean what you know what i learned if you go to Wisconsin, you are going to break your back from having too much sex. Oh, with ungodly hot women. <laughs> I, you, I will you never... You bug-eyed bro. I will never not laugh at how it works out for him. Because his whole plan is like, I'm going to go to America and get laid. And he's gone for like over a month. And he just I... spends the entire time in Wisconsin getting laid. Yeah. But not just getting laid. It's like January Jones. <laughs> From, I might be the, I didn't know her from anything else until Mad Men. Um, oh my god! Yeah, oh exactly. my, I did not even, oh wow! Yeah, it's January Jones. Holy cow! It's, um, god, what's her name? I have this in here. Oh, um, Alicia Cuthbert. And then at the end, then it's also Denise Richards and <laughs> Shannon Elizabeth. It is, I hated that. I hated that. It's because it's like this absurd, this one story that is, is the most, when all the other relationships and loves, so to speak, are complete fiction, right? These are not, this is what I don't like about this movie. So you're saying this those movie, are all fiction, but the guy getting banged, that one's, the, that's no, the real but story. But this one, but they all think they're being real. Yeah. Right? They all... This movie pretends like it is making some serious, heavy-hitting claims about love and romance, and it is bullshit. (laughs) There is nothing... Like, healthy love is not a thing in this movie. Um, But to do that, to have, like, 9 out of 10 of these, like, relationships be in one style, and then have one be just completely different and obviously absurd is so stupid and yeah but i'm getting ahead of myself just a touch just a touch 
I want to start with, well, the beginning. The beginning. <laughs> yeah, that is a good place to start. The opening monologue. The the opening voiceover, um, which, which includes the following quote. General opinion started to make out that we live in a world of hatred and greed, but I don't see that. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of the phone calls from the people on board were messages of hate or revenge. They were messages... Of love. Okay. I th- this movie is not worthy of that at all. Uh, to my knowledge, I believe most of the principal production of this film happened before 9-11, and then 9-11 happened, and they felt they had to address it as a major capping on both ends of the film is, like, airports and planes and travel. Okay. So I believe that was added, like, as a literal last minute. That makes sense, because I, like, watching it this time, I haven't seen this movie in years, and I was like, is this, is this a 9-11 movie? Like, am I, (laughs) is this movie, like, more intense than I recall it being? And, like, no, because that felt very shoehorned in. But especially thinking that that was part of, kind of, the original movie as written, that, we learn that, that that voiceover is Hugh Grant, and we learn is the British Prime Minister. And I will say, this thought of, of like, one of the most substantial heads of state in the world, like, ignoring the context and obviously, like, very real national politics at play and something like the September 11th terrorist attacks, and instead just being like, Love, it, well, love is everywhere. Is nine eleven taught me to love? Blood boil, and it's not really like this movie doesn't keep going down that path, but it does set up like this character, especially where this is, I'd say, one of the most central relationships is Hugh Grant, the prime minister, and his staff member, without any regard for the context of that relationship. And it's so fucked. <laughs> and it's, I think that plays on the, like, this is just mindless of context. This, like, love is all around. Uh, 9-11, don't worry, there's love. <laughs> and it's like, this happened, this has nothing to do with love. This has to do with, like, with politics, essentially. The idea that a politician would reduce it to such is absurd. And is a mere grand gesture, which is something that several of these characters feel infinitely important to do they do keep coming up don't they yeah so to hop in what do you Uh, got i don't even know um we hop to a beautiful karen knightley getting married to some fella don't know his name doesn't really matter of course this fella's best friend is played by mr walking dead himself andrew lincoln i believe yes something like that and um it's a wedding and the the groom is talking to his friend like you didn't plan any surprises right kind of setting up that he had like a he was a he was a roused about as a youth and he said no 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 surprises when it goes through and then two things here so, so they turn around and they start walking back down the aisle and <laughs> the curtains at the top of the church what i would call the um um 
Mrs. Robinson suite opens up (laughs) and you see a bunch of people and they all fucking point at the bride and groom and start singing Love is All You Need by the Beatles. And then you see that this is a small church and I would say about an eighth of the audience of this wedding is made up of the principal musicians for this song. There's like two, 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 two. And they're like, there's trumpets and there's trombones and flutes and all this shit. And all I could think that whole time was like, they probably couldn't invite people to this wedding because this guy insisted on placing an entire like SNL band (laughs) within the audience of the church. And also this scene apparently was based on Jim Henson's funeral, which Richard Curtis was in attendance of. I have no idea why. I was looking through his stuff and he did like Black Adler, which I guess maybe that's a reason he would have been there, but whatever. So yeah, there you go. That's my big thing. Um, I Like there's so much happening in this movie. I don't even know where to go next. Um, so I, I guess we can, we can kind of take each relationship. Yeah. On its own. So. So Kira Knightley and Walking Dead. Yeah. Not a relationship. Not a relationship. Right? As discussed, she married his best friend. And he is very short with her all the time. He just says minimal words. He's not very friendly. And we find out that is because he's in love with her. Yeah. And she finds that out when she watches the wedding video he took. And it's literally just close-ups, just close-ups of her face. Of her. And Which, by the way, right, this is one, and this is, Love Actually is hardly the only rom-com to do this. That's creepy. A lot. That's awful. Yeah. That's, don't do that. And everything he says is weird after that. Like, he's, she finishes watching the video and she's like, why didn't you ever talk to me? You only talked to him. And he's just like, it needs some editing. It's a self-preservation thing. I need to go. You can show your way out. And then, like, later he does this thing where he, like, he comes to the door and he, like, knows his best friend so well that, like, he knows how to not make him come but make the girl right. come. And he shows this slideshow basically saying, like, it's Christmas and Christmas is when you can tell the truth. <laughs> Which it, is, that's that, not that's like a, a Christmas That is a thing. thing, like, literally three times in this movie. People <laughs> in some extent say Christmas is when you can tell the truth. Right. Is that a British thing? I think, you know. not part the, of our the, tradition. The British have things like that. Like, by stationary, they mean office supplies at large. That's a thing in Britain. They also mean Christmas is when you can tell the truth. Yeah. So he does this little slideshow and he basically is like, I will always kind of love you, but you're married to my friend, so I'll respect that sort of, I guess. And Except right now. Yeah. And then he doing when I'm invading that space. And then he walks away and she comes out and kisses him. And then he says, enough. That's enough now. And that is it. <laughs> yeah. That is, I think, the last time we see... Now, we see him at the we very end. We see him at but the like... end. And there, she's, he's still... Best buds with his best bud. Yeah. Which um, really shows you, if you're in love with your best friend's girl, give it a shot. Yeah. After they're married, of course. Yeah. Wait wait till the wedding. Do a big thing at yeah, the wedding. Of to course. kind of overshadow the fact that you're going to steal his girl. <laughs> um, I mean, it happened to Ringo. No, it happened to George Harrison. It can happen to anyone. So now here's, here's the thing that's common to uh, at least a couple of these relationships. So Kira Knightley, when he professes her love his love for her she said like you never talk to me guys if you've never talked to someone right even if you're just admiring them from afar not love (laughs) fundamentally not love that is attraction that is infatuation and kira knightley yeah reasonable um not categorically not love and this idea that they have 
some sort of connection that he needs to profess in this way is so fucking delusional and unhealthy. It it makes my fucking blood boil. <laughs> it's bullshit. That isn't right, and it's not like oh, this it's called love actually, but some of these are about like like different degrees. It's like no, each and every one of these relationships is portrayed as this giant, grand, sweeping idea of nine eleven stopping love built into this human connection. But the human connection is like you're with my best friend, but like I think you're hot as fuck. That's what this one is. And then to, like, betray that friendship by doing that. It is such a massive betrayal to profess that love. One, it puts Kira Knightley in this horrible position of having to know this and then bear this secret, which might build resentment, which was would undoubtedly complicate this friendship when, as we see in the epilogue, their friendship still exists as it ever did. And it, it's okay. So that one sucks. All right, I'm done talking about that one. So I, feel free to add to it. But. Oh, you you pretty much did it. Hello, this is Nick here. Sorry to butt in. Um, just letting you know we had some trouble uploading this gigantic Christmas special as one episode, so we're trying to split it as two. If you're listening to this, that means it worked, and the next one will just be the next play on whatever podcast app you're using. Alrighty, thanks. Happy holidays. Yeah. Oh, and then, oh, and then.